All right, I'm Dawn Patenconian. I'm sitting here live in real life with Nico Merkin. We are in Rosario, Argentina, where he is based, though he was born in Buenos Aires, grew up in both Buenos Aires, Argentina, and also Montevideo, Uruguay. Um, Nico Merkin, among other things, is a singer-songwriter, and we're going to be focusing on that today here. Nico, is there anything you want to say by way of an introduction to yourself? Uh, hello to everyone listening. Um, I am also, since 2004, have been dedicating my working career, I would say, mainly also in the audiovisual sector, mainly in post-production, but also some. I did some filming uh, and mainly TV content and now social media content for different brands and uh, also, well, somehow... Uh, related to music also in, in, in some at some moments uh, in time awesome we can use all of that here in this conversation to get started as a kind of a warm-up question I wanted to ask you when I say sacred narrative what does that make you think about um, books mainly like but not any books just books that that are separated from what would be fiction uh, or novels, you know. Uh, I would say, you know, the, the books that we could all list out as, as narratives that for very big groups of people uh, <clears throat> are not, how would you say it, were not made up. I mean, although that's also that also could be held to discussion, but you know the Bible, the Quran, you know, like uh, the Buddhist books or the books from India, Bhagavad Gita. I don't I don't remember exactly the name, but I think of those books. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to start there because I've been using sacred narrative as my definition of myth, and before I start asking you questions about myth in your work, I want to make sure, like, are you okay with my saying myth to mean sacred narratives, sacred story, or would you rather I use sacred stories when talking about these influences in your work? It's fine. You can use whatever word. Uh, you okay. Want. Okay. I didn't want to make you think sort of necessarily of Greek or Roman mythology by misusing that word, quote unquote. All right. So when I first decided that we were going to do this interview, and asked you permission to do it, I was thinking we'd get right into talking about sacred narratives and symbols in the songs that you write. But I'm also wondering, because of your introduction, if you want to talk at all about those influences on your other, your filming work, your documentary work, your content creation. Do you want to talk about both or do you really want to focus on music here? It's your call. I would start with music because music is how I started in the the art world, you could say, quote unquote, like since I was a young teenager. So I think everything evolved from there. And then it sort of, you know, got mixed up in, you know, in, in my other career, you could say. Okay, awesome. That sounds great. Tell me about writing songs. Do you have a process? Is it always the same? The question is really, how do you write a song? Uh, I feel like uh, I have a process of many months of just reflecting in different things that I see around myself. 
I haven't been writing lately, so I, I kind of have to go back a little bit, you know, a few years ago to, I mean, what I feel is that now I'm in the process, it's been, it's been some time since I'm in that process where I'm just reflecting and, and building up f phrases in my mind that I know that will eventually make it to a piece of paper and eventually to a song. Uh, but th that that would be the process. Like, I take some some time to reflect, to sort of burn these phrases in my mind that are sort of like a synth synthesis of of what I've been thinking about, and and then I write those phrases in paper. And out of those uh, loose phrases, you could say, songs develop. That that's my process, at least. And do those loose phrases just come to you? Yeah, I mean, as like like any thought comes to anyone, you know, like you're walking down the street and you're thinking, I don't know, the world is a complicated place, whatever, just <laughs> whatever phrase comes to your mind. I mean, if it's that, it's that. But then maybe you translate that to a more, more, to a deeper metaphor, or you try to be original in in, in the way you 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 transmit a simple quote, you know, quote unquote idea. Okay, um, tell me about some of your influences. In your music and spe specifically in your writing. Um, well, for for someone who doesn't know Argentine rock, I don't know how easy it is to to explain it. But there's uh, Google, so it's really good that you share those here. Yeah. So we have. I was just thinking yesterday. Argentina has, especially from the '60s on. You know, some really great songwriters came up here, like really, really talented people that weren't, didn't make it in the mainstream worldwide because of language, but, you know, they're as good as it gets. Um, Spinetta is one of them, Luis Alberto Spinetta, Charlie Garcia. Uh, those two are probably, for me, the greatest songwriters of Argentine rock, pop rock of the, you know, from the 70s forward. Uh, they influenced so many other musicians. Um, I wouldn't say that my music is like like theirs because, you know, <laughs> I didn't achieve that amount of talent, but they were an influence in terms of opening up my mind to, to the possibility of being like them, you could say, you know, like, so you go after something. You don't necessarily get to where they were, but, you know, they definitely opened the door to to a desire for me to to try to write a song like that you know and, and you know sometimes you get closer eventually it takes many years in any case it's not it's not from one day to another but I remember as a kid dreaming of just you know being able to to write a song like theirs then eventually other influences were added and the way you know from my travelings and in from in the U S you know and in the 80s where the the American and English music was so much in the media here and um, uh, you know I don't know I think Bono from U2 was a big influence in terms of lyrics Sting also was a big influence uh, Ian Asbury from The Cult if I go back you know even Jim Morrison uh, I can name many more, but 
yeah, mainly it was people that I, which I like their attitude at the moment. Like, you know, you become a teenager, you're, you're starting to hear people sing about, you know, I don't know, rebels, you know, the, the rebels of, of the anti-system. And that's, that's what I liked. Like, I, I guess in that way, I was like any other teenager wanting to be against, you know, what was the establishment, you could say a little bit. I, I feel like that at one point I went that way. Eventually, some of those people defrauded me. <laughs> some of those people that I named, but that's that's another story. Um, you made me think of a question that's not on my list, but I'm wondering if you think the lyrics of some of these greats from the past could count as sacred narratives. I feel like maybe it's too much of a title, but if you think about how many, you know, how many. I could say even say millions of people dedicated their time to listen with so much attention to these, you know, the, the great musicians of the, of the last 40 years. I could say that for some people they were, they are. I would say, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say they are for me, but I, I, I understand that they are for a lot. And I would say they're worth, they were for me at some point. They're not anymore because, you know, eventually I realized that it's not enough to write a great song and, and to, to, to be part of the, 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 you know, the spiritual elite. You could say, I don't know. But at some point I did. And I still understand that for a lot of people they are because, uh, I don't know, some people really believe that some songs change the world. You know, I mean, I feel like I don't know, that's something that's that, that thought is so profound that I would have to reflect on it for for some time in order to, to say, yes, you know, rock and roll changed the world or some songs changed the world. I'm sure it changed at some. I was just uh, considering today how one particular song from Pearl Jam changed my life. Um, what song? Dissident from the album Versus, the second album of Pearl Jam. Uh, the lyrics, the way Eddie, Eddie Vedder sings it, the, the, the guitars, everything in that song. I feel like when I listened to that song for the first time, I felt like it was everything that I was feeling, even without, I don't know, I just, it just hit me really hard, that song. And it changed my goals, I would say. I wouldn't say it changed my life. But I would say it changed my goals. Okay. Um, and so maybe, maybe not lyrics can become kinds of sacred narratives. And maybe, maybe not songs can change the world. Let's talk about myths or sacred narratives in your own songs that you write. Like, can you either examples in particular you can think of, um, lyrics that you've written or songs that you've written that you think are, are influenced by external mythologies or or sacred narratives and and in this class we're using obviously um the bible and all of the books of the great religions as we're, we're counting them as myths as collections of sacred narratives so if you want to go there because well, i know you can actually that's where you two <clears throat> was had a lot to do with that connection to the bible because bono is you know he he, he confessed that once that for him, the, the, the greatest blues man was King David. King David wrote a lot of the Psalms that are in the Bible. Not all, but, you know, 
I don't even know if it's the majority, but Bono considered the Psalms blues songs. Because if you read the Psalms, it, there's a lot of lamentation, you know, about you know the enemies against me and and, and all that. So Bono uh, uses a lot of sacred narratives for his songs. I mean, I I would have to really think. Uh, we, we I could make a list. There's literally more than. 30 songs at least where he uses references from the Bible. For example, When Love Comes to Town, the song that he sings with B.B. King. Uh, I mean, he, he, he not only uses metaphors, he specifically sings like a gospel song. Like, I was there when they crucified my Lord, etc., etc. Um... And then there's another Brazilian singer called Renato Russo from the band Legion Urbana, which maybe then I could write it down so you can <laughs> you can put the, the specific name. I'll add a link. I'll he, add a link right below this. He also uses a lot of Bible. I mean, they are so good at writing metaphors that are connected from specific verses, and they they use it in a in a in a, in a context. Uh, I'm trying to think a specific example. Um, for example, there's another song from U2 from the album uh, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. The song is uh, Crumbs from Your Table. That The name of that song comes from the Bible. Crumbs from Your Table comes from a parable. The parable of the dog that's... No, it's not the parable of the dog. A woman approached Jesus and said to him, you know, help me, you know, she, she wanted to be saved, she wanted to, her sins to be forgiven or, or, or something like that. And he said, no, I am, I am here to, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, which was a way of saying, you know, you're not from the sheep of Israel because she wasn't, uh, she wasn't, a, she, was, she didn't belong to the tribes of Israel. So th that's kind of a harsh answer. But her answer to him was, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table of their master. And then she just turned around and said, I never seen anyone with the faith of this woman before. So it was clearly, he clearly was trying to tell her, was, was, was harsh on her just to have the opportunity to show others, look at the faith of this woman. So it you was know. a test. It was, it was, you could say it was a test. In any case, you 2 Bono, in the song, uh, says at some point, I could believe if I was able, but I'm eating, but I'm waiting on the crumbs from your table. That's clearly related to that part. Right. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Although he might be talking about love. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, a metaphor. It's a metaphor, but... Bono does a lot of that, and Renato Russo from the Jean Urbana also. He uses a lot of those kind of connections where he grabs a verse from the Bible and he somehow connects it in, in, in another way. Sometimes it's not, uh, it's not only about love. They also talk about you know, their own faith and their own struggles with their faith because both of them, I believe, are sort of like believers that are out of the church so the, in that sense I, I relate to them mm -hmm. because I could also define myself as a believer outside of the church okay so, so sometimes us, you try to grab yourself from these narratives to sort of feel the connection somehow 
give us an example from your songwriting, something that you've written and sung that is similar to what you just described by Bono. Um, let me think for a second. So the song, one of the paragraphs of the song says, um, you are the ones that hide your sins and play it out like your superheroes. So throw the first stone if you have, you know, if you have what it takes. Of course, this doesn't rhyme in English, but believe it, it does rhyme in Spanish. So... And this is the song... I'm talking about... Sabemos Amar. Yeah, it's called Sabemos Amar. I'm talking about about groups of people in society that, that you know, judge others, basically. You know, you could say they're political groups or maybe just, you know, whatever. Whatever groups of people you can imagine. People that are, that are always pointing out to the sins of others. And uh, so then I'm telling them, you know, throw the first stone. It seems like you, you know, you're able to it. And what I'm, what I'm talking about is, is about that story where, you know, the woman was being accused of being an, 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 an adulteress. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. um, and Jesus said to them, you know, Who, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. So, it, I mean, the connection is really simple. There's not too much to it. I'm just saying that I'm using that concept of, of a throwing of the stone to, to, to sort of add it in a song and also point out, I mean, in a way, it's like saying, you know what, these secret narratives talk about the things that we all live. For me, it's a way of, of, of bringing them down to earth, so to speak, metaphorically, like... Like, it's not just a phrase that's there, like, wow, this is super spiritual. No, like, like there's still, there's people in the world today that are throwing rocks when, when they, when they shouldn't, you know, they don't have the, you know, they're as guilty as. So, right. Know. It's a kind of a literal bringing down to reality into the quotidian and borrowing these sacred narratives into yes. daily. Um, that song, Sabemos Amar, is it about... I mean, what is it about? Is it about society? Is it about religion? Is it about love? I feel I feel like it's about uh, all those groups of people that are constantly putting, as we say here, like sticks in the wheels, you know, like of the bicycle. Like it's people that dedicate their lives to to criticize others, to judge others, to to I mean, even to sell us shit we don't need. You know, it's it's about the the bad side of capitalism also and and, and even uh, uh, hypocritical religion uh, it's 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 even about you know what John Lennon said about you know in in the song uh, working class hero uh, about how they sell us you know sex and drugs and TV to keep us you know it's crazy. It's like they sell you all this shit, then you consume it, and then they accuse you. You know, like it's about that. It's about like for me, it's like the the ultimate manipulation. You know, totally. In a way. All right, one last question, and then we'll cut this just for fun because we're in Argentina. Because you're Argentine, I wanted to ask you before we roll out of this, if there are any well-known, like widely shared Argentine myths that you could tell. Like even like a resumen, a short form. 
or mythic figures in Argentina? Well, the, 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 the one that comes to mind is called La Difunta Correa, which is a woman. Difunta means deceased. So it would be Correa, it was her last name. So it's the, the, the deceased Correa. Uh, she was escaping because her husband has been, was persecuted and killed by some army or something like that. She went to a cave with her little son, who was still breastfeeding. Uh, I think, I think that's the case. I don't, you know, I could be, like, I could have some some memory mistaken. But the thing is that they found her dead, but the the kid was alive because he was still breastfeeding. The baby, so, uh huh. So he survived because of that, and she became this mythical saint. You know, like even even dead, she was still giving life. Right, yeah. like a heroic mother. Yeah, something like that. Yes. And it, she's called the Difunta, Difunta Correa. Correa. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for this quick conversation, and we will be in touch. Thank you, everyone. Do you want to say anything? The last words. Oh, just. See, seek honesty. Those are good last words. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a good week.